you cannot create a world without poverty where everybody goes to school, where you see no maternal death, where, you know, you see you see justice, you see uh, gender equality, etc., etc. You cannot achieve that unless you also end child marriage. Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast. I am Alberto Ligi, your host from London. And as a regular listener, know the purpose of the podcast is to inspire you to be more philanthropic, act more sustainably, and embrace social entrepreneurship. Please, please, please do subscribe to the podcast. It makes a huge difference for us. It's a great pleasure to welcome someone I've met before in a couple of instances at different philanthropy forums, Mabel Van Orangi. She is the founder and chair of Girls Not Bride. She is also a human rights activist. She's a member of the Dutch royal family. And she's also a serial entrepreneur for social change. And one of her endeavors is to end child marriage. So Mabel, it's a real pleasure to welcome you onto the podcast today. Hi, Alberto. It's really nice to, to join you. Thank you. No, my pleasure. My pleasure. I guess we can start off by talking a little bit about uh, Girls Not Brides. Tell us a little bit about the organization and what it aims to achieve. About a decade ago, I, I found out by coincidence that 12 million girls get married every year before mm -hmm. the age of 18. And I was shocked because at that time I had already been working in the field of human rights and justice and peace and development for about 15 years. And I had really never, never come across the issue of child marriage uh, in my work. And it's, it's interesting because the two words, child marriage, say it all. You know, a kid who isn't an adult yet, uh, who is, doesn't have the right yet to, to sign legal contra contracts, to, to vote, to drive a car, to drink, to, to buy a house, uh, a, a child to actually getting married. And I was really shocked when I, when I learned that this is happening to 12 million girls every year and really across the globe, across countries, across continents, across uh, religions, uh, across cultures. Um, it basically comes down to, to a girl nearly every two seconds. And, and what you see, I've now met many, many girls to whom this happens. What, what you see, the story is often the same, that uh, the girl is still incredibly young. Uh, and then one day she's basically told that she's going to get married to a man who's often a couple of years older, sometimes much older, uh, who she in many cases hasn't met yet. Um, but that also then means that the girl uh, is not longer allowed to go to school, has to go live with her in-laws, who um, in many cases uh, actually she becomes then the, the victim of you know, domestic violence, whether it's sexual abuse or whether it's mental abuse. Um, the, her biggest value then often becomes her fertility. Um, so you see these girls who have bodies, you know, 12, 13, 14-year-olds, whose bodies are still the bodies of children having to deliver babies. So you see that maternal death rates, complications in childbirth are, are much higher. And so when I learned about all this, I was really shocked to realize that, that the world at that time was basically not paying attention. Mm. You, could, you could count the number of organizations working to end child marriage on the fingers of two hands. Um, and that was the moment that, that got me determined uh, to, to say, okay, let me see how I can help to catalyze change. Mm -hmm. Because this problem is too big in terms of numbers, but also in terms of its impact to, to ignore. 
Because the, the idea that we as a world can ever make sure that every girl goes to school, that maternal mortality rates, uh, you know, go down, that we achieve gender equality, all these beautiful commitments, um, you know, we can never achieve them unless, unless we end child marriage. So that's kind of where it started. And what's the organization look like today? Where is it based? Where is it operating? And, and how is it trying to drive forward this, uh, this change? So what we realized is um, that if you want to, to solve a problem like child marriage, you first of all need to raise awareness around the issue. And, and so the first years were really focused on making sure that everywhere in the world there would be much more talk about the issue of child marriage, not just about the problem, but obviously also about the solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm really delighted that nowadays when you go to these big development weeks uh, and, and the UN General Assembly in New York and at these UN institutions, that child marriage is no longer ignored. Right. I'm also very, very happy that, that thanks to, to very dedicated advocacy of many, many organizations and individuals in the so-called sustainable development goals, you know, the international development agenda that the world has created, that ending child marriage is now a target. So the world has committed to end child marriage by the year uh, 2030. But what we also realized is that if you want to to create change, you can't just have, um, you know, big, beautiful commitments at a global level. Ultimately, change really needs to happen in the lives of girls on the ground, you know, in the lives of the girls of their, their families uh, and, and their communities. Um, and that requires a good understanding of why child marriage is happening. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. varies. I mean, what, what we learned is that in some communities, you see that girls get married at an early age because of tradition. People have done it generation after generation, and, and therefore they don't even think about it. They just, they just do it with right. their daughters. Right. Um, in some cases, you see it's related to poverty. So, for example, in India, the, if you're poor, there's an incentive to marry your daughter at a young age because the family of the girl has to pay a dowry to the family of the, of the boy. And the older the girl and the better education that she is, the, the higher the dowry is. In Africa, you know, you sometimes see in some communities a payment going the other way around. So the family of the boy pays cattle or, or another price to the family of the girl. So if you're poor, uh, marrying your daughter off means one less mouth to feed and, you know, maybe getting some cattle so you can more easily uh, feed the, the rest of the family. In some places, child marriage is driven by fears around sexuality, the the fear that a girl would have uh, sex before marriage and thereby not only dishonor herself, but also her family. Um, but whatever the reason why child marriage happens, what we see is that it is always to do with gender inequality. Mm-hmm. It's always that idea that a girl is less than a boy or that a girl is a burden and you want to get rid of her as, as quickly as you can. Um, so what we realized is change needs to happen locally, but in order to have change happen locally, you really need to empower local organizations, the, the organizations that understand why in a specific community in, let's say, in Bihar in northern India, mm-hmm. child marriage is happening, who holds the power to change it? Is that the local a religious leader? Is that the local chief? Is it the teachers? Is it the, the, the parents? Where's the, the power for change? And, and you know, the way that happens in, in northern India might be quite different from how it happens in, let's say, in, in Malawi, in, in Africa, or in Nicaragua, in Latin America. And so we realized in order to make change happen, 
you really need to support local organizations. And that's why we created Girls No Brides. Because the Girls No Brides, it's like an umbrella organization where we said every organization, a non-governmental organization in the world that wants to work to end child marriage is welcome to become a member of Girls No Brides. So some of the member organizations do this because they care about child marriage per se. Others care about uh, girls' education, and so they realize you cannot get girls in school as long as they're, you know, as long as they're getting married at an early age. Uh, some of them care about violence against women. Some of them care about about human rights, and so we launched Girls Not Rights in 2011, and we had 50 membership uh, member organizations at that time, and I'm really excited that we have now grown to um, almost 1,300 Wonderful. member organizations. Yeah, in more than 100 countries. So this is truly a global organization. And we learn from each other because even though the way that child marriage happens in one place is different from another, some of the solutions that work in, in, let's say, Nepal might also be relevant for Senegal. Mm -hmm. And some of the things that haven't worked in, let's say, the Dominican Republic, those lessons might be useful in Tanzania. So so we're really trying to, to make sure that we learn from each other, that we do joint advocacy work to push governments to put child marriage higher on the political agenda, to commit more resources, um, and then obviously also to, to basically, you know, raise awareness collectively, because there is power and strength in, in working together. Of course, of course. On a, on a technical side, I'm just curious, the 1,300 members that you have globally for Girls Not Brides and the really useful information sharing and, and knowledge sharing that, that you were talking about. How do you encourage, how do you facilitate that knowledge sharing? How do these 1,300 organizations express themselves and engage with each other to, to make sure that they're all stronger as a consequence of being under this organization? It's a, it's a multiple level. So, um, you know, it's, if you go to the website, you know, girlsnobrides.org, you'll see that it is really a kind of a center of knowledge. And, uh, and we try to all relevant country studies are there. There is like a, a, a global map where you can zoom in on countries and learn much more about uh, the issue of child marriage, what drives it, Great. what's happening, who the members are. Um, but then there's also, we do for the member organizations of Girls No Brides, there, there are webinars, uh, you know, around specific issues, whether it is around media, you know, communications, whether it's around fundraising, etc., uh, right. learning. Uh, then, of course, you know, we, we try to bring people together, but bringing people together is is obviously also a very expensive uh, effort. Yes. Um, yes. As, um, we see that in a number of countries, our member organizations uh, have united. So, for example, in Uganda, there's Girls No Brides uh, Uganda, there you have Girls No Brides Malawi, Girls No Brides Nepal, etc. So we see them at a national level uh, work together. Um, and, and of course, with modern technology, sharing information is is so uh, so much easier. And we very much try to create an, uh, a community where we are not afraid to... Um, not to, you know, because this is in a way a nascent issue, um, there's a lot to learn. And mm -hmm. and we've tried to create a community where we're not afraid to admit if things don't work or or if things are different than we thought. I mean, as, as we all know, there is no success without failure. Yes. Um, you know, and you can't get better without acknowledging what could go better. And um, and I think that's that's I, I like that very pragmatic approach that we have. And this is a global problem. It's not just in the developing world, correct? There's room for improvement in the developed world as well. 
Yes, sadly, this is a global problem. Um, what what we've seen is that um, even in places like the United Kingdom and, and the United States, there is child marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, in the United Kingdom, it's primarily among the immigrant population. So, you know, the, the Bangladeshi community, the Indian community, the Pakistani community in the United Kingdom. Um, in the United States, we see that it is also among... Uh, among uh, non-immigrant communities, we see child marriage rates. In in fact, in America, it looks like there's about uh, they're used to the latest numbers we know about twenty five thousand uh, uh, child marriages per year. And quite remarkably, until until two years ago, in every state of the United States of America, you could get married before the age of eighteen. In some cases, you know, just like that. In other cases, you had to get parental consent or the consent of an of an uh, of a judge. But uh, that's now slowly changing state by state. But it's of course quite remarkable that this issue um, was just being ignored and horrendous for these girls involved. Because I've I've met the girls, you know, who tell me these horrendous stories of how child marriage basically meant that they became a de facto slave of their in-laws and how they were being abused, um, you know, physically and and also mentally, not just by their husbands, but also by their mother-in-laws. I mean, I think of the girl who who I met in India and who told me how, uh, how her wedding night was the night where her husband gave her an HIV infection. Um, and and you listen to these stories and they're just just heartbreaking and and at the same time we know we can change this so for me and and you know it's this kind of thing like I feel that as long as this is happening at such a big scale and as long as we we can make a difference here a meaningful difference that's not just we owe it to these girls but we also actually it will be beneficial for their families and for their communities mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how do you address instances where it's um, well culturally this has been happening for generations. Well, it, it's interesting. And I, I've now, over these 10 years, I've visited many, many projects. Um, and first of all, I think it's very important to remember that parents do want the best for their children. Mm-hmm. So there isn't there isn't any father who's doing this because he wants to harm his daughter. You know, and mothers don't do this because they, they want bad. Um, often it has to do either with ignorance or with a lack of, of alternatives. Mm-hmm. And um, so I've seen projects, uh, and I, I think of the work of an organization called Tostan in, in Senegal, where basically people did this because of tradition and because they thought this was the right thing to do. And also because, you know, in a community, if your daughter wasn't married at age 14, she would be considered an outcast. Now, if I were to walk into a community like that and start preaching against child marriage, that would obviously be counterproductive because people would look at me and think like, what are you doing mm-hmm. here? And, and you don't understand us. But what, what we've seen, you know, there in Senegal and we see it all over the world is when trusted inter- interlocutors, so local people engage in a respectful way with a community and talk about like, why are we doing this? Why do our daughters get married at the age of, for example, 14? And what are the consequences? How come 
you know, girls in our community earn so little? How can we get out of poverty as a community? How come so many girls die in childbirth, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, have you these conversations and do that in a respectful way, then what you see happen, and I've seen this with my own eyes, is you get communities to say, you know what? We thought we were doing the right thing, but we now realize that what we were doing is harmful, not mm -hmm. just for the girls, but for the community as a whole. And so we collectively commit to end child marriage. Right. And I've seen that happen. In other places, what you see is with, if, if they marry the daughters because of economic reasons, you sometimes see that a little stipend, um, an encourage, a financial encouragement uh, to keep a girl in school, uh, might be what it takes to keep the girl out of out of child marriage. In some cases, it's sexual education. You know, helping girls to understand um, what what sex is, how you avoid pregnancy, um, and and making sure that they have the opportunity to do so. Because um, obviously, uh, you know, it's it's not the girl who's necessarily looking for sex. It might be the men who force them themselves or the boys upon the girls. Uh, and so if a girl can protect herself against pregnancy, that might mean that she doesn't end up in a child marriage. Um, and I think a lot of it also, um, I mean, we've seen that in many cases, local religious leaders or local traditional leaders can either be, you know, the, the, the people who are, um, you know, kind of overseeing the child marriages, mm -hmm. but they can also really be the, 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 the leaders for change. So I remember in, in uh, Zambia meeting uh, local traditional leaders who have a lot of influence over the community who realized that child marriage what was what they didn't want for their daughters and therefore that this was something that wasn't good for the community either and so they um they they decided to you know to take a leadership role and and show to their community and commit to their community like look this is something that we not, do not longer want to do so change is definitely possible i mean as as grassa Michel, the um, famous mozambican human rights activist and of nelson mandela says um, she says tradition is made by men so tradition can be changed by men and and that's exactly what what we see happening <laughs> and it's not just within human rights i mean this is implications for uh, women's economic empowerment education uh, economic output at the national level it's a multifaceted uh, issue isn't it exactly and so child marriage links to eight out of the 17 sustainable development goals so you know you you cannot create a world without poverty where everybody goes to school where you see no maternal death where you know you see you see justice you see uh, gender equality etc cetera, etc cetera. you cannot achieve that unless you also end child marriage and so you know we need to as a as a world get much better at, at tackling these issues in an integrated way um and then we we will indeed. I mean, the World Bank did a study. It was mm -hmm. very interesting. If you what the economic cost of child marriage is, and apparently, for a country like Bangladesh, if you were to end child marriage, and in Bangladesh, sixty six percent of all girls uh, is married before the age of eighteen. So that's two out of every three girls, and that's not the highest in number in the world. But you know, anyway. A country like Bangladesh, if you were to end child marriage, that would mean an increase in GDP of something, if I remember correctly, something around five billion per year. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you imagine that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and so it seems like an like an easy win, and that is because we know that um, if you don't have child marriage, uh, health costs will go down, 
earnings will go up. But also what you will see is, is that you will see uh, demographic growth go down. I mean, right. we all know that, that this world, we still, the number of people on, on our planet is growing, you know, faster than, than, you know, how we can provide livelihoods and, you know, make sure that everybody can, can live prosperous lives. Mm. Um, I mean, Niger has the highest, Niger in Africa has the highest rate of child marriage in the world. Okay. Three out of every four girls is married by the age of 18. Three out of every four girls. Wow. Now, also, we know that in Niger, there's the highest birth rate in the world. So women have, on average, more than seven children on in their lifetime. Mm. On Yeah. So some women have nine children, 10 children, other have eight. Right. Now, imagine if you are 13, when you start having babies, then, of course, it's quite easy to, you know, over your lifetime, if you don't have contraceptives, to have seven children. Now, if you could delay the age of marriage and you could make sure that girls stay in school, first of all, they will earn better incomes. So, you know, and women who earn money, you know, will spend it wisely normally mm -hmm. on their on their families, on the community. So economically, that would be a benefit. But also if a girl in Niger could not marry until the age of 18, she will presumably not start having babies till the age of 18, which would immediately cut down the, 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 the rate of, of birth in Niger, which would thereby decrease the demographic pressures in a country like Niger, which would thereby also decrease the demographic pressures of people wanting out of mm -hmm. Central Western Africa and trying to emigrate to Europe. Yeah. So, you know, it's a win-win situation. This makes sense for everybody. How did you get into this? I, I mean, you give us a little bit uh, of, of insight, but um, your narrative, your, your story about Mabel. You know, I grew up in the Netherlands in, an, in a middle-class family, and my father used to work uh, for, for Philips, a company that, you know, for his work would bring him to, to Latin America. Right. And I remember at a very young age, I must have been seven or eight, maybe nine years old, because this happened, he died when I was nine. And okay. this happened, you know, before he died, obviously. He would come back from his trips to Latin America. This was in the 70s. And he would talk about the poverty he saw there. Mm -hmm. And and it daunted on me, like, can you believe it? That the things that I take for granted, like going to school, like if I'm ill, being able to go to the hospital, that these things that I think are completely normal are not normal in other parts of the world. And it created that sense of injustice in me, like, why do I and my peers have this while other kids, just because they happen to have been born elsewhere, don't have, have access to, you know, schooling education? And, and that kind of made me determined at a very young age to, once I grew up, to, to make sure that the world would become a bit more, a bit fairer place, that there would be a bit more justice. And basically that, that geography would not determine destiny. Yes. And so, you know, I, I then after when I was finishing my studies, I by coincidence got involved with, with the wars in the Balkans. I was shocked that a two hours flight away from, from the Netherlands, you know, there was genocide taking place. And, and although I had, you know, thought at that time I was going to work for a management consultancy firm, I just I felt like I had to do something. And and so basically my my professional career has been one of coming across injustices, coming across taboos, coming across sensitive issues that for whatever reason people are not 
in my view, tackling with the attention they they deserve, mm-hmm. whether that's the war in the Balkans, whether that was, or and still to a certain extent is the fight against HIV/AIDS, uh, whether that is around natural resource transparency, um, and so for the last ten years, a lot of my time I've been working on ending child marriage because it feels that this is an injustice that needs to be tackled, and and this this issue of like you know geography uh, defining destiny early on the. In, in the work, when I was trying, you know, to inform myself about about child marriage, I I went to northern Ethiopia, mm-hmm. and I um, I met a, uh, the work of an organization that was engaging with with young married girls, and so I was sitting with this group of of married young women and uh, adolescents, and and I asked the girl next to me, "How old were you when you got married?" And she she looked at me, she said, "You know, I don't really know because I don't know when I was born." I don't have a birth certificate. And this is a problem for many girls uh, all over the world. She said, but I think I must have been between the age of five and seven when I got married. And I looked at her and I felt like a knife was going through my heart. Because at that time, my two daughters were five and six years old. And I thought, imagine if my daughters had not been born to me, but if they had been born there in Ethiopia, they would be child brides now. And and for me that that conversation I'll never forget it. And and so, although we're talking big numbers, although we're talking big change, in the end, this is you know about 12 million individual cases, one after another every year. And and I've seen we can make a difference. Mm-hmm. And so that that keeps me going and makes that that I want to encourage everybody to try to help because yeah. there's so much that that people can do to help here. Are you feeling optimistic that by 2030 and 10 years time we'll be um, we'll be where we want to be? Well, um, I, I am optimistic because I really do believe uh, that that if we can keep this current generation of girls uh, out of marriage, they will see to it that their own daughters will not get married, because. I, I, you know, I, I, all these girls, all these child brides who I meet, when I ask them, what do you want for your own daughters? They always say, I want my daughters to go to school and I want them to decide who they want to marry and when they, when they want to get married. And, uh, and I'm especially optimistic because we started something new and, and, you know, the listeners to this podcast might actually enjoy hearing this mm-hmm. because it's something that might motivate them as well. Um, so we realized um, with all this attention and awareness around child marriage, we see more and more donor money going to the issue. Right. But we also see that a lot of the money coming from governments and from big private foundations um, goes either to the United Nations or to international NGOs who do very good work. So I'm not speaking out against that. But what we realize is that um, local organizations, the ones that do the kind of work that I was describing earlier, mm-hmm they often don't get the resources they need because they're hard to reach, it's hard to identify them, et cetera. Now, what we have recently launched is an initiative to make sure that more money goes to these local organizations. Mm -hmm. And I think that can have a catalytic effect. Now, the initiative is called VOW, V-O-W, the Mm -hmm. Vow to End Child Marriage. And basically what we're trying to do is to mobilize the entire wedding industry So companies that produce wedding products, wedding dresses, you know, uh, China, whatever, the wedding professionals, the wedding planners, the people who bake the wedding cakes, the people who do the photography, the people who do the flowers, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then 
couples themselves, plus their guests and their families, this entire industry to come together in, as, as vow and to say basically, when a couple in the rich West says, I do, they make it possible for girls elsewhere in the world to say, I don't. <laughs> Excellent. And so, and so the idea is, is, is pretty simple. You know, the wedding industry in the United States alone is $100 billion per year. That's okay. an enormous amount of money. And so we figured if couples, when they get married, that either they buy special vow products, so a vow wedding dress or, um, you know, any other product where we then vow gets either a, a, a percentage or, or a fixed amount. Mm-hmm. Or what they can do is couples can say, we register our wedding list, you know, the gift list yes. with the knot or with crate and barrel. And then a, a percentage of that total wedding list by those companies will be given to vow. So if you now vow your wedding list with a company called the knot, which is the biggest wedding website in the United States, then up to 3% of the value of the, the wedding list will be given to Val. Or we see increasingly couples who are saying, look, I don't just want a perfect wedding. I also want a meaningful wedding. I'm going to ask my guests to donate to, to Val. Um, all with this idea of that making it possible, basically, that n- not just people you know, here in the West, but people, girls all over the world can actually decide if they want to get married when they want to get married and with whom they want to get married. Mm-hmm. Now, we would obviously love it if, if you know, <laughs> we all constantly have to go to weddings. We never know what to give, um, or in many cases, we do not know what to give. So we, we really hope that people who are getting married, you know, will actually vow, vow their weddings by either buying vow products or doing, you know, a vow wedding registry or asking their guests to, to, to donate to vow. Or if you're going to a wedding, you know, to, to actually give to vow, that, that would be really, I think, fantastic. And the other thing is that we see at the moment, both in the UK and in the United States, efforts to make sure that the, law, uh, the laws in those countries uh, change to a minimum age of marriage of 18 mm-hmm. without exception. So no parental consent, no, you know, special judiciary consent. Um, and so if you live in the UK or in the US, you might actually encourage your, your uh, elected representatives um, to, to make sure that these law changes will happen. Because that will not just be important for, for girls in the United States and, and in the UK, but also um, that will then, you know, obviously have a ripple effect to other countries. Um, so these are two very concrete things that people can do and that, that will really have a huge impact uh, I mean, as, as Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who has been an amazing advocate on this issue, as he always says it, um, you know, if we work together, we can make sure that all girls can be girls, not brides. Yes. What's the, um, what's the website address for Girls Not Brides? Um, so Girls Not Brides, you know, the umbrella organization of civil society groups working together to end child marriage is... Uh, girlsnotbrides.org okay and uh, and for vow mm-hmm. the initiative to mobilize the wedding industry um, to make sure that we support grassroots efforts to end child marriage uh, vow that is vow to end child marriage.org okay and that that's not just for folks getting married in the US and the UK but that's worth taking a look irrespective of where you're living Absolutely. I mean, friends of mine in the Netherlands, they, they recently celebrated 35 years of, of marriage. And they said, you know what, we're going to ask all our guests to, to donate to VOW. And, uh, and you know what, that's, that, that's going to, you know, 
help support a, a local project to make sure that girls don't get married because the amounts of money that are needed in in specific communities aren't enormous the reality is this needs to happen in many many countries in many many provinces so um, so it's not the skill you know the, the size of the problem is enormous um, but but small donations can go a long way that's great my dream is that by 2030 when the the sustainable development goals uh, you know reach mm -hmm. their end date that we can say the task has been accomplished yes. we actually did something that when i started started working on ending child marriage 10 years ago, people told me this cannot be done. This is too complex. This has been going on for hundreds of years. You know, forget it. Dedicate your attention to something else. And I think we're proving your skeptics wrong. And I would really like it if in 2030 we can say, job done, Girls No Brides can actually be abolished. Vow has been a huge success. Um, but you know, this is not longer necessary. Let's all dedicate our energies to, to other problems. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. That's my dream. That well, here's to dream. that. Here's to that. What's the key takeaway you'd love for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to this episode? Um, that while change needs to happen locally, we can all make contributions. And, uh, and if you do not live in a community where child marriage is happening, but you still want to contribute, do two things. Either push your local uh, lawmakers in your own country to change the laws if 18 isn't yet the minimum age of marriage, without exceptions. And secondly, do go to vow to end child marriage and make sure that if you're getting married, you vow your wedding. If your friends are getting married, make sure that they vow their wedding and that you donate to vow. Ah. And thank you in advance very much for everything you do. I mean, one of the <laughs> most important lessons in my life of change making is Everybody can make a difference, but nobody can do it alone. Or maybe, you know, Alberto, as Archbishop Tutu would say, mm -hmm. if you want to create big change, and yeah. that's what we're trying to do here, yeah. you need to create an enormous wave of change. Yes. And never forget that a big wave is composed of millions and millions of drops of water. And I'm one of those drops. And you buy doing this podcast are one of those drops and all these member organizations are drops and everybody who's listening to this can be a drop of water and then together we create that wave of change i absolutely love it that's wonderful mabel look it's been great really having you on the show thank you for making the time i know you're extremely busy and i wish you every success in achieving everything you want to do here not just by 2030 but for 2020 as well Thank you for joining the Do One Better podcast. It's been very enlightening and it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Do One Better podcast. If you want to find out more about our show, about our guests, additional links and resources, visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I dot org. And don't forget, success at the Do One Better podcast is about inspiring you to be more philanthropic to think more about sustainability and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Hopefully these stories will encourage you to take action and change the world around you for the better. <laughs>